0: Hey everybody, you're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce and Jim Steele, brought to you by Iron Company. So today we're discussing power gyms and lifting groups that could be found in various lifting hotbeds throughout the country during the 60s, 70s and 80s. That's how many guys got started and is what spawned many national and international weightlifting champions. But where are these hardcore gyms and power groups today? lots to talk about here so jim why don't you get us started here describe what we mean by power gyms and lifting groups or tribes as you sometimes right. call them
1: i was thinking the other day um what how how kids used to go into not kids but like 14 15 years old you you'd get interested you'd read a muscle magazine or you'd see a powerlifting meet or something like you start you'd get interested in it and so you would go to this oh, the only power gym around and it was usually you know a little dank and dismal a little bit but it had a vibe sort of like rich sulky was talking about the other day and when you walked in and went mac you know a maryland athletic club when kirk was squatting and marty was describing that and so i was thinking where where, where has that gone right in one sense like where are all those great gyms i know there's still some great gyms out there but i'm saying that you know marty and marty and i were talking where doyle kennedy the great deadlifter had a group out in oregon uh, you know, we had groups in Maryland. You had the Young Brothers in Texas. You had the Oklahoma guys, all that stuff. And Marty's real familiar with all those groups. So I wanted him to sort of expand on on what was special about those guys, what was special about those gyms. And then I thought about, you know, what's the initiation for kids today as far as going to those gyms? Where do you go? Do you go to the Planet Fitness? You know, who comes over? The guy in the theater? and Ask you, you know, yeah. when well, you're shaking, or, uh, yeah, you're, yeah, it's, you know what no, I mean? No,
0: it's, no, it's changed, and I think we all went to these these power gyms. They were kind of like some of them were hole in the walls, you know, nothing, nothing special. I remember the first gym that I started out with. It was called Astro Gym. It was on San Gabriel Boulevard in uh, San Gabriel, yeah. and um, it was it was around for years and years and years. But they had some pretty hardcore dudes in there. Uh, I remember the first time I walked in, there's this big dude named Kermit. He was about 6'3, 23 inch arms. He was strict curling, 225, perfect form. Yeah. You know, there's monsters in there, guys that competed in powerlifting and bodybuilding. It later changed over to gold. Uh, and then I was out of there after that, soon after, and I went to, to other gyms, Foothill Gym and things like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that that was Jim. Where was where was your first kind of gym that you started out in the basement and things like that, right? And then you went eventually to a gym or something. No,
1: and, and you know, and I was thinking about that with, uh, and I'd love for Marty to talk about the Hugh Cassidy, how he the first time with him, but I was thinking about mm. Hugh Cassidy's basement. That's see, that's what I'm talking about too, or or like JP, like you were talking about the other day, opening up your garage and having neighborhood kids come and lift. Um, yeah. You, know, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be like this, you know, grandiose thing. It can be, Hey man, you know, there's 10 guys that train in this basement, you know, and that, and then there's the older guy who, you know, sort of takes you under the wing and, and, and does all that. So, yeah, I started off at a basement, but I had a guy, uh, my friend Louie, he was about, I don't know, five or six years older than me. And he was a competitive bodybuilder, but knew some power lifting stuff. And he taught me some nuts and bolts of things and taught me how to work really hard. Like, you know, no, you can do ten. You don't have to stop at eight and this is how it's done. You know, you need somebody to tell you that kind of stuff and say, okay, now it's time we're going to the diner and we're gonna eat this, this, and this. And this is why. That kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. So he was your mentor.
1: Yeah, he was definitely one of my mentors. Marty, what 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 was like the first time? I know you you started young, you had the and I was saying this to JP the other day. You had the Taekwondo guy down the street, you had the Hugh Cassidy, you had the Olympic lifting guys. Like you were really lucky with this whole mentorship and getting started. Don't you think?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, I was fortunate enough that, um, I, I was raised in a, in a lifting hotbed an athletic hotbed actually. Uh, I think that one of the, one of the issues was, is that back in the day, well, first off from in, um, the sport of powerlifting, it didn't come into existence until 1965. Yeah. So it was a, a sport that, was allowed to create itself. We, we didn't we didn't have any predecessors, we didn't have any ancestors, we didn't have, you know, you might have had Paul Anderson who squatted or, you know, Marvin Etter who bench pressed, but there was no formalization that we 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 drew upon. The Olympic lifters could could trace their lineage back to the twenties and the 1930s. Right. And while that is helpful, it's it's also suffocating. Uh, we were allowed to create ourselves from scratch, and there was a lot of discovery, and there was a lot of learning. And because of that, and because of the the popularity of, of powerlifting, Olympic lifting is extremely complicated and extremely complex, and it's um, uh, not not many normal people are adept enough to to really master it. So when what, the, what do you when mean
1: the, by suffocating? I'm sorry. Then, it, Olympic what, lifting was suffocating. You mean because of all the, all the. Well, because
2: you had you you had uh, dogma. You you had I, this is this yeah. is the way we train. Right. Uh, powerlifting didn't have that. Everybody started from jump ball. Got it. And well, cool. yeah. Yeah, and and there was no one authority figure because it was brand new, which was fantastic, and that's why all these different hotspots sprung up all around the country. Now, it also ties into a larger uh, question. Bob Dylan once famously said, he said, when he first started touring in the mid 1960s, every every region that he would go to was like going to a different country. So he'd go to New England and it would be a certain culture and a certain flavor and certain food. And then he'd go to Oklahoma and it would be different Then he would go to Northern California and that would have its its own uniqueness. And then he'd go to Miami, Florida, and that would be completely different. There was not this homogenous culture that we have. Uh, that That sort of ended in the 80s when the, the widespread advent of the shopping mall, and also the the, yeah, the right. strip mall, yeah. Well, it, all of and a sudden, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, everybody everywhere had the same, uh, you know, the same mall with you know the two bookend stores with the uh, Brentano's bookstore and the whatever the Sears on one end, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but back back in yeah. Before, yeah. before that, it was like. The the people in in western Texas were so different than the people in northern Virginia yeah. that they everybody incubated their own strategies and I just I just off the top of my head I mean you could talk about uh, you know in Washington State you had uh, Jeff Magruder who was incredible bencher, and then. Oregon, you had Doyle and, with his power group, and then go a little bit further south, and uh, Northern California, you had Dave Shaw and Larry Kidney, Terran Cormick, and, you know, sort of the mid, mid-California. Mid Southern Cal, you had, uh, of course, the original West Side guys, you know, with uh, Pat Casey and Lenny Ingro and Peanuts West, and you get into Texas, you had different regions of Texas, you know, you had Doug Young down in the the border down in Brownsville. You had Ronnie Ray in Dallas, who was the first under 200 pound, 500, under 200 pound, 500 pound bench presser. Mm. Oklahoma, Walter Thomas, uh, Dennis Wright. I mean, they gave birth to Furness and, you know, those guys in Chicago, you had Ernie France, right? Who gave, you know, who who was a, a huge power player in the Midwest. Uh, in Florida, you had uh, Gene Bell, Willie Bell, Hollywood Henderson. Uh, you know, in in our area, it was even segregated between the lifters in the Washington D.C. area trained different
1: than the guys in Baltimore. And 30, <laughs> 30 minutes away, forty minutes away. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. But it
1: wasn't. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have all no, this email no. and all this stuff. So, 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 what? How would they exchange ideas? They would give. Ah, them. yeah. Ah,
2: that's a great question. They'd exchange ideas. With, as a result of who was kicking ass at the juniors and the, and the nationals. Right. right? The, the winners set the tone. If, if a guy came in and blew everybody away, it's like, what's he doing? Yeah. 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 Right. And so you'd pick up, Oh, well, you know, Dennis Wright is having them do midweek having them come in and do pause squats. Oh, okay, uh, well, you know, or you'd look at a technique that, uh, that, that a particular lifter would have, maybe up in Minnesota, of course, you, originally you had uh, Don Reinhout. Uh, he gave birth to, and Don Reinhout and Jerry Jones, and, and you'd look at those guys and say, wow, what are those guys doing different? And you wanted to know what the best guys were doing to improve, because they would separate themselves from the pack. And you go what is it that they're doing marty go
0: ahead. was there was there a certain region that just reigned supreme for no, like a long no, time no or was it no, no no
2: no absolutely not that shifted and and it's kind of back yeah. and forth and, yeah you guys and did forth. extremely well with blacks and you guys were what out of ohio well i i, I that that was different that that came a little bit later, and that was the start of the actually the homogenization of powerlifting, which came down the road. Once it became clear, once you had guys emerge, like for example, Larry Pacifico, yeah. nine nine world championships, everyone went, all right, what's Larry doing? Yeah. That that's when things started to tighten up because the the, the lesser regions were getting blown away. And so you go, all right, well, what, what for example is uh, Ernie France doing? That's so unique that his guys are dominating and you'd get into their, their routines. Now, um, I hate to say it, probably one of the worst magazines ever created was Powerlifting USA because they, did, they didn't edit anything. You, anything that was sent in, they just, they just stuck it in the magazine. But what it- They didn't tell you on time either. allegedly, well, I won't get into that. Uh, but Powerlifting USA became sort of the central clearinghouse, And so they would publish, and I wrote, I wrote for them for, I guess, five years, I'll probably do 50 articles for PLUSA. And everybody wanted to know about training. They were hungry for the training. What is Don Reinhout doing? What is Doug Young doing? What are they doing? And we would we would write up the actual routines, right? Personalities, yeah. We'd have we would have biographic profiles, um, and we, you know, we would present the actual training. Now, what happened is when you got the super dominant lifters, again, like Pacifico later, Ed Cohn, yeah, they sort of swept all of the minor players aside, then everything became, okay, there is an emerging consensus. Yeah, very good, very good. Yeah. Yeah. But how open were these guys like Pacifico and all these
0: other guys about what they actually did. Did they actually want their routines published in a magazine so that yeah, all yeah, these other guys yeah, could yeah, do the yeah, same
2: thing? Back no, it wasn't a matter of that. It was a matter of, it wasn't a matter of, oh, we have secret information, we're gonna keep it hid. It was, they were grateful for the publicity because there were no star power lifters. And mm-hmm. so when Lamar Gant won 16, world championships people are going what is he doing yeah. lamar was grateful that someone would go to the time and trouble to write an article on him yeah. and you want to know about my training sure here's what i do there was no hesitation there was no oh we're not going
1: to keep that no, we're not going to tell you that
2: no there was none of that
1: yeah and jp just like we were talking about the mentorship thing um, you wanted to share information. I've never been around a great power lifter who didn't who didn't no. want to share and try to help and try to mentor the guys. So what I remember, so I was fortunate enough to go to some nationals uh, with Rob Wagner back when everything was consolidated and have as many organizations. And after the meet, you know, you go back, shower, eat whatever, and then you'd meet at the bar. Yep, right downstairs at the hotel bar, and That's every. Right either even the guys that didn't drink even whoever yeah from- you know, the coaches the competitors mm-hmm. every the judges everybody and that that's where that exchange of ideas so rob wagner came back one day and goes man look at this russian program that everybody was talking about you know and that was the beginning of that Shaco program that uh, a lot of people experimented with so um you know I, I just wonder where you get it now because everything's so fractioned but uh that's how i got a lot of stuff and rob wagner got a lot of stuff
0: oh well, i don't power so, powerlifting was different than bodybuilding in that um, you know I think Arnold's famous for some guy you know that he was that looked up to him as a mentor. Uh, the guy is saying, "How, how do you uh, gain all this muscle and all that?" And he's telling the guy, "Eat ice cream and and yeah. and, I don't and think a lot I, of salt I, and things." Like that.
1: Marty, Marty, you you've been around both, and the narcissistic aspect of bodybuilding is pretty strong. Right. I know, yeah. and
2: I, I never had any problem with bodybuilders telling me what they did.
1: There yeah. was no secrets. Yeah. I mean, they,
2: it, all the they all did pretty much the same thing anyway.
1: Yeah, that, that's true. And, and powerlifting that that's different.
2: You yes, know, it was. Yes, it was. Until it
1: became consolidated with the Ed Combs, and that it was a lot of different ideas. Uh, and,
2: and and again, bodybuilding is divorced from performance. Right. That's right. that's huge. You can't I, overlook. You I, cannot I, overlook that. Okay. Lifting is strictly about what are your numbers. Yeah, right. You know, we don't care about anything else. If the lift is legal, exactly. if the equipment is equal, if everything is equal, how is it that you are so much stronger in your bench press, Jeff Magruder? What are you doing? And Jeff would say, "Well, here, here's here's my weekly schedule," yeah. and you would try it out. And in most cases, it wouldn't work for you because a lot of it was idiosyncratic. I mean, it. It was uh, a lot of power lifters found things that worked for their particular physiology. Right. Individually, that's right. Yes. Right. So again, but I've never had any, not in bodybuilding, not in powerlifting, anywhere where, where someone was like, I'm not going to tell you that.
1: Yeah. But there there you know? was an example of that is uh, where they were, you know, an idea came and people started doing it. And I, I don't know if people still do, but remember Mike McDonald? the bench presser oh yeah so he started using jp that the cambered bar that lets you go deeper than a yeah yeah better range of motion yeah i remember when that was the big thing everybody had to bench with that that cambered bar and that was an example of do you you know know why that was born now tell me tell me i'm fascinated
2: well uh mike was a mike was an amazing guy imagine a guy who's five foot ten and at 178 pounds, was able to bench press 523 without a shirt. Wow. Right? He pushed his body weight up to 198 and pushed, uh, I'm thinking, 556. Then he pushed his body weight up to 230. Yeah. And he looked like he was so chubby and so he looked like an accountant. Yeah. And he had, he used to bench, in penny loafers with black <laughs> socks. And he benched, he benched 6'15", right Oh, up. my God. Now-
1: hey, You gotta look him up, JP, man, he was- a- <laughs> So,
2: so what Mike, Mike was a huge fan of dumbbell bench pressing. Okay, He felt that okay. dumbbell benching was his number one assistance exercise. When he got to the point where the Bells got over 150 pounds, they were so long That he couldn't get that depth because the inside of the the plates would hit his chest. So he was like, how can I get that beautiful stretch that I was getting with the smaller bells? Because the smaller bells, you can allow them to sink below the level of the chest. He wanted that pre-stretch. Absolutely. Yeah. So how, how can I do that? He said, well, I'll invent a cambered bar. Now, the problem with the McDonald cambered bar was, as you will remember, Jim, the angle was too severe. Yeah. So big guys and small guys were all forced to use this really kind of odd, un, too, too perpendicular of an angle. Yeah. Now, they, they changed that in recent years. They've actually invented a curved McDonald bar. Which is yeah. much much smarter.
0: Yeah, we were selling one for a while, and also the advantage of that too is I think it takes some of the some of the strain off your wrist because it angles your hands out just a little bit.
2: Well, unless um, you're unless you're benching 120 pound bells or greater, you don't need a McDonald board. Just use your dumbbells. Honestly. Yeah,
0: and, and for me, I mean, I, I don't know that I want to go down any lower on the, the bar bench either for my shoulders, you know, for the sake of my shoulders. Yeah, I'm fine with going down to my chest. That's all
1: I need. So, Marty, was that a, a thought of, just to get off on a little bit of a tangent, of explosion off the chest? That's what he felt he was working on there? What, the dumbbells? Yeah. The- wanted,
2: he he want he wanted the pre-stretch that JP wants to avoid. <laughs> no. Made- yeah, no, I, I I'm just, saying like, you just said that. You said I don't want to go below because it it torques my shoulders. Yeah. McDonald, McDonald wanted that. It was yeah, that yeah. that that pulling of the pecs on the breastbone. That's Jimmy, this is why we make dumbbell benching the first of our 5 iterations of, of the bench press. Yeah. We take yeah. away the tension. Anyway, we don't want to get too too often into, into benching technique, but uh, so anyway, getting back to the, to the, to the big topic. Yeah. Also, a lot of lifters came out of their basement, yeah. and their basement grew into commercial establishments. And back, there was a glorious period where machines were not important for a commercial gym. What happened with, with when the gold got franchised and all of a sudden you had to have a series of expensive machines well that meant that a guy had to go into a bank get a second mortgage on his house to buy these machines that you now needed if you were going to be a successful commercial gym back in the days you might have had what was that that crazy uh, universal that had all the stations yeah Yeah, the universal station oh yeah. yeah yeah the leg press the shoulder press the bench Yeah, Yeah, that was the only machine that was the first machine. And that actually was the beginning of the end of the of the small independent gym. That was also the genius of CrossFit CrossFit came back in and said, Hey, you know what, we don't need your machines. Well, what that meant is that normal guys could afford to open a CrossFit gym because they didn't need $250,000 to buy 20 stationary bikes and 15, you know, one-dimensional isolation machines. Uh, also Arthur, Arthur Jones with that ridiculous Nautilus craze, that was the worst thing that ever happened to to, to co- the commercial gym business because all of a sudden it took took the ability to, to for a normal guy to have a freeway gym that gets better results than the machine gyms.
1: Yeah. So they would get they would get in a garage, or then a couple of guys would get together and say, "Oh man, let's let's rent this little space right here." And then a couple more would come yeah, in. Yeah, we're running
2: out of room. We don't. You, we got yeah. too many too many guys here in the basement. Well, what do you do? Well, we moved to Chalet's. Well, Mark had the best hardcore gym I've ever been into in my life, with the possible exception of Kenny Fantano's up in Connecticut, and. Did he have a machine? I don't know. He, no, I don't think he did. I don't think he had a single machine in that gym, but he could, he could, him and his dad uh, built out the walls, you know, I mean, it was just an empty space. So they, they built it out themselves. They wired it themselves. They just had barbells and dumbbells and, uh, and a tanning bed. And <laughs> <laughs> a, think- a big phone. Yeah, had a big phone, yeah. But, <laughs> but, 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 you know, I mean, that 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 made it economically viable for yeah. somebody to get into the business. And again, that was the genius of CrossFit because they came in
1: and said, you don't need that stuff. Right. right. Let's just rent a warehouse and go, man. Yeah. yeah. How, about, uh, how about the YMCA? Marty, you've been a member at the YMCA for yeah, years, yeah, yeah. right? My yeah. grandfather
0: was a member of the YMCA. I never went there to train. I went there for like you know, after school kids stuff when I was smaller, but uh, how popular was the YMCA for guys to get started in weightlifting? Because I knew a few guys that did it. Was that kind of the spot for a while to kind of get started? Uh, uh, again,
2: again, again, JP, every Y was different and some Ys had had enough equipment for you to actually get a decent free weight session mm-hmm. in. Others didn't. Yeah. So it, and, and and there was no homogenization of YMCA's like they are now. Now they're all kind of pretty much the same, but they were radically different back in the day. And there were also there were also
1: far fewer of them. Uh-huh. I think in the big cities, I've I've read a lot about guys starting off in a YMCA in a big city like in New York, you know, and you,
2: and you usually get asked to leave once you get past a certain point at a YMCA. It's like okay, you know, we don't want you doing your deadlifts in here we don't yeah. want you to and, and another problem with the y's is is that you're you're next to grandmothers and little kids and that's that's not a conducive environment for a hardcore uh, <laughs> lifter yeah
1: so bill starr told me i don't know where maybe he's in texas i'm not sure but, um, he was lifting at a YMCA on the second floor and there was no rubber plates back then no yeah. so when he would do his clean and jerks you know, he had to lower that thing slowly all the way to the floor. And He said, "It's a, it was a pain in the ass." However, you got big as hell.
2: <laughs> lower
1: from the net from the negative. Yeah, you
2: know, yeah, but it's the negative. <laughs> now na- na- nowadays they throw the negative away. No one, no, no one does a negative in Olympic lifting. Tommy,
1: Co- Tommy Kono said the same thing. Yeah. yeah, you were totally right. If he dropped it, you got kicked out. That's right, deservedly you know? so. So. But, Jim,
0: what about before all that? I think some of these tribes and, and 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 good lifters, you know, originated in high school. They started to get started in high school. And you had the whiteboard and you had the 300 club, you know, especially if you're in football. Yeah. You know, you talk about, I think you were going to talk about initiations. What are the, some of the initiations to some of these, these groups? Yeah. Well, there's an initiation right there to get on that in that 300 club. You had to uh bench press or squat or or whatever a certain amount and I remember Kowalski talking about he just wanted to see his name up on that <laughs>
1: great yeah at wonderful.
0: whiteboard and it's funny he came in what was uh the lift that he said he had no practice and I think was ironically the squat and he came in and just you know met the minimum the first time he tried the squat
1: yeah yeah so yeah those little things are so important you know uh Marty wrote an article years ago about, and he didn't say his name, but it was basically about Kirk and correct me if I'm wrong, Marty, but it was about his squat depth and how you said, Hey, come here, kid. And you showed him how to do the pause squats and get used to that depth and over and over and over again.
2: Well, when Kirk, Kirk approached me, okay. uh, I had been handling Mark Chalet and a guy named Elliot Smith and Elliot Smith was as big as Bill Casmar. He was incredible. Uh, he got pulled away. Uh, Elliot was torn between football and lifting, and he got kind of stuck halfway in between both. And so he never really fulfilled his potential. But when Elliot and I took Elliot to the Junior Nationals, and he placed second, and he was disappointed that he got second. So he kind of dropped out. And right at that time, Kirk approached me and he said, Hey, would you, would you work with me? And I said, Oh yeah, I'd love to, I've been watching you. And I think you're, I think you've got terrific potential, but he was so wild in his squatting. He was um, uh, uh, demonstrative, you know, overly uh, too psyched up, psyched up to the point that he, when he would take a weight out of the rack, he'd like almost fall backwards and every squat depth was a little different. It was all very violent. Right. And in order to to curb that, we we started him off with with pause squats where you gotta go down, now you gotta hold it. Right. And if you look at his his competition squat style, it is basically a pause squat without the pause. Right?
1: You get that in the way he descends. He, he
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was doing a pause squat, but, but now we say, now Kirk, do the pause squat, but just don't pause.
1: Right. Now right. explode out of the bottom.
2: Yeah, explode out of the butt, But he had that when you pause squat, you have to develop that breaking ability on the negative. You can't freefall. Right. And that was the key thing. He he developed that ability to control the negative, to develop the coiled energy, which he converted into the explosion. Now we initially we'd have him hold that bottom position a little bit to
1: solidify the depth. Right and the positioning well, you're right? retraining his body he's been used Correct. to three inches higher and now you're retraining that septum.
2: well, well um, on one rep it would be three inches high and the next rep would be two inches low and then you know it, it, each rep was different because he was free falling and breaking free and, and when you free fall you know you can't necessarily you can't stop that poundage on a dime that poundage has a mind of its own and if you let it drop just because you want it to stop doesn't necessarily mean it's going to stop. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. So, how long did he have to do those pauses for?
2: Oh, I can't. No, probably, probably not too long. I mean, he was yeah. he was a, an adept athlete. Yeah. Hey, I mean, would you
1: rather have somebody crazy like that that you had to? to oh, with? absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You,
2: you want? I, I want guys that I have to dial back. Yeah, I like this. I, I, I don't, I don't deal with guys that I that I have to encourage. If yeah. you've got, to, if you've got to be encouraged,
1: then I, I, I don't have time for you. Yeah, right. did not be there. Find something else that you're encouraged about.
2: Yeah, yeah. Could play tennis or something. You know, I, this is not, this is not for you. I want guys who show up 15 minutes early.
1: Yeah. Uh, they're
2: sweating already. Yeah, yeah that they, they have questions. They, you know, they're 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 into the processed and if they just get with what it is we do they're making progress within two weeks yeah and that's how we hook them we hook them on progress right that's a key your pull go ahead
0: sorry your pole barn guys they're a they're a tribe as jim would say exactly um, very much so yeah you know exactly so exactly you guys, are, you, we're, you guys we're, are showing up every sunday you're their mentor they've been there for some of them for years
2: right oh, yeah, we've been doing it for five or six years. Yeah. And that is, it's, that is the recreation of the basement gym.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's just with right. a little little more space, exactly. a little, little, open, little more open. We have the ability to have a couple of three platforms going at the same time so you can have your different levels. Hey, you guys that are handling, you know, whatever, below 400 on this platform, the, you know, the middle guys on that platform, the advanced guys on that platform, and you know we we yeah that is that's a good point jp that's what we're doing we're replicating that that garage gym basement gym right. hard hardcore uh environment but for normal people
0: yeah and you gotta love that you gotta absolutely love that what uh, i was curious though we've never talked about this is there any initiation for these guys how do you determine who gets in you let everybody in they got to bring red meat and whiskey (laughs) no
2: no 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 they've got to they've got to burn for it if they burn if they burn for transformation i can work with them at any level yeah are there
0: any are are there any guys that you've let in that after a couple weeks there's just no fire there and that you go no no no, no no
2: no they would never they would never get through my I know in 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I, don't, had- I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't miss. I don't miss. I've had guys, oh, I want to do it. So I want to be with you guys. I want to be with you guys. So, okay. We're going to be here at six tomorrow, which means 5 45. <laughs> right. And, you know, they'll see, a, you'll see somebody push through a set at five, you know, their legs are quivering and all it. And then you see the, the, the new kid who's sort of, those three and you can you can just feel that doubt in the room, man. And he and he you've seen this before where they go down and you can tell that they act like they're they're really trying and they're not, you know. And and Marty talk about reading people. That tells you a lot about a person, right? Uh okay. and, and they sort of drift away. So you make it where it's like, okay, man, you have to live up to everybody else and what we expect. But they usually in my little groups, they usually uh, leave on their own, you know. It's just too hard.
2: Here's a here's a good tale. Uh Doug Furness and his brother, ah, it's terrible. I'm having a, a brain lock. I can't remember his brother's name. They both played football for Tennessee and they started. And Doug was the was the, the fullback, and his brother was on the line. Now, this was the same team that Willie Galt and Reggie White played on. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is big time. Well, after they finished their college football career, they decided that they wanted to devote 100 percent of their time and energy to lifting so they went and they sought out dennis wright who was a multi-time world champion dennis was a stud and a half he might have been i don't know five five i saw dennis at age 44 weighing 198 pounds squat 800 two inches below parallel and then and then bench 500 without a shirt i mean this guy was was hell on wheels so Dennis said, sure, yeah, I'd be happy to train you guys. I mean, these are big time athletes, right? So they would show up to Dennis's and I, and I talked to Doug about it. He said, yeah, he said, my brother and I, we'd get our coffee and then we'd pull up in front of Dennis's house and we'd always get there 30 minutes early and we'd sit in the car and we'd drink our coffee and we'd get our head right. And I said, well, why didn't you just go in? When you got there early, he said, "Oh, that wouldn't have been right, Marty." <laughs>
1: that,
2: that's the respect they were so grateful yes. and they were so respectful that, with Dennis Wright said, "We're going to train at nine o'clock." They walked up and they knocked on that door at eight fifty nine, and they didn't come early. They were and they they got to his house and they sat in the car <laughs> and they drank their sixteen ounce coffees and they. They'd just be talking about what they, you know, what they're going to do, and they're getting fired up and fired up, and then they walk up there respectfully, and they, they said we kept our mouth shut and we did what we were told.
1: Love it, love
2: that. Yeah, yeah. that's what
1: you got
0: to do. It makes a big difference. You you need that time in the beginning, whether it's just you know that alone drive from your house to the gym, just blasting music, or just thinking real deeply about what you're going to do, how you're going to tear it up, how you're going to. Do better this time than the last time, so that's all important. But yeah, they didn't.
2: Uh, they
0: they had a date at nine a.m. and uh, they were going to show up right at, right on
2: the dot. Yeah, I had a with the multi-time world champion, right? right.
1: I had a group when I was coaching high school in Florida. I this is when I really started getting into powerlifting, and we sort of. I was also I was teaching high school, coaching high school, and I started working out in a Gold's Gym. I dropped some weights or said something and anyway I moved off from Gold's Gym and went to this place called the Power Pit which was an awesome gym mm, I mean the bars were sounds beautiful. I mean, it was rusty and I, loved, I think some cops owned it and they didn't really care you know what I mean uh, <laughs> so I had two high school kids that I took with me uh, both of them eventually well Jason's a major in the army now and he he squatted seven benched uh, 450 deadlifted over seven Derek at 17 squatted 600 in a meet, so these these were motivated kids, very similar to what the Furness brothers were like. You know, they were so respectful and so thankful that so they would come to my house, you know, and we would squat on Saturdays, and they'd be there, and we'd uh, you know sit around and talk about what we're gonna do. But they were if they were late, I'd be like, okay, it doesn't mean anything to you. Don't come back, you know. So they knew that. But I had Bill the wrestler. He was a pro wrestler and an insurance adjuster. <laughs> Who was mentoring nice. me, who was in that group. So he was, he had a lot of experience with powerlifting. So I was all new. I was like, well, you know, what, what kind of grip should I use and how wide should my stance be and all that stuff. So we were, we sort of had the best of, we had the young, hungry guys. You had me who was trying to get into it. And you had Bill who was, was mentoring us. And so it was our own little tribe, you know, and I would get so excited. And those kids would be, they bring your enthusiasm up even more, that young enthusiasm too. Um, it was a great little group, man.
0: Jim, Jim, who, who was your, who do you, who's your t- top mentor? I mean, we talk about Rich Salky all the time. You know, you've known him since you're like 15, you know, you used to do some stuff with your your dad at the university of Mer- Maryland and stuff like that. But was he your, your top mentor, the guy that really just solidified you going forward in bodybuilding and taking that, that path?
1: Yeah. Rich was a guy who sort of pushed me forward and and really I could see, what was possible with rich and then how there's no dummies in the sports, you know, in these, in these activities or these sports, you know, you got to know stuff when you listen to rich talk, you know, I don't know as much as rich does, but about nutrition, about biology, about, you know, the correct, where the bar should be in over the middle of your foot when you're squatting things like that. Um, and then I'll be honest with you, man, you know who I learned the most about powerlifting from was Kirk. So what I would so I was living in Charleston and, uh, I had him come down and give a seminar. So I found out he's from Maryland and I found, you know, I was just, I was like, who is this guy? He just squatted 800 for five on Powerlifter video magazine with a belt on and whoa, that's in Maryland. I grew up five minutes from there, that kind of stuff. So I called him up, he comes down. And the thing about Kirk is, man, it's so cool, is that everything matters. He taught me that every single thing matters. The, the when you approach the bar, that's when the squat begins. So you you know you can see people that even at meets they just take it off they're all they're, everything has to be the same every single time you got to know your rack height you got to know where your hands are going to be you got to know what the audience is going to you know how the room is going to be set up when you compete your your mm-hmm. your every single thing so he taught me that And I would so he we had a great weekend he went back to Maryland. And I would call him on the phone, so I would study his DVD, study it. The cadet to captain, man, I knew everything. Marty, I know every scene that you're in, baby. I know every everything, because I remember right. who's that guy? Who's that guy? And he says, "Oh, that's Marty. He knows his stuff, man. He knows his stuff." I was like, "Okay, I got to well,
2: know All that stuff you talk about, Kirk, telling you, yeah, I taught him.
1: Yeah, and Cassidy taught you, right? So that's it's, right. That's the power tribe, man. That's stuff, right here, but that's, that's our... That,
2: that's lineage. That's that's our uh, version of martial arts lineage where the martial artist can trace back his masters. You know, in, in China, they could trace them back, you know, uh, 10, 10 generations. Yeah, it's and, the pedigree, right? It's yeah, a pedigree of sorts. And also, you're, we, we, we have a school, right? Our school is different than, let's say, uh, Doyle Kennedy School. Doyle will have specific methods and modes that were unique to his teaching. And Dennis Wright would have specifics that were unique to his teaching. Ernie France would have, you know, each each area, each power center would have slightly different variations. Generally, we, we all... Did the same thing, and there was a lot of experimentation going on too. We were not um, we were not lockstep. We were we were open to let's try some new things because we need to progress. And that's the beautiful thing about powerlifting. It's all numeric. It's all mathematical. You either make progress or you don't. If you don't make progress, you look to incorporate some new ideas. Well. And the thing about when
0: you came up was this was kind of the Wild West. You guys were like pioneers. Not there true. wasn't a whole lot of history to fall back on and what guys had been doing for years that made them successful. You guys kind of had to invent a lot of this stuff. And today it's a lot of the stuff that we still use today.
2: Oh, I don't think so. I'm not seeing a lot of what we use being used today in the the wider world. I think it's all become now it's um you know we it's the curse of too many choices with the internet and and folks are so confused out there i don't see any great lifters emerging have you jim
1: well there's some good ones out there the problem is they're so they're all over the place you know what i mean um but the guys who who i look at today are you are doing very similar programming to what you guys were doing to what Jim Cash was doing to what S Step was doing right it, it all comes full circle where for a while there everybody was doing the box squats everybody was doing the chains everybody was doing the bands and now it's coming back to oh man just let's do some let's do some back squats let's hit them yeah. hard you know let's work yeah. up to a heavy triple let's work up to a heavy set of five all right um, right, Jim, right. Jim is it is
0: it are the the up-and-coming guys the the top guys right now are they doing like a minimalist strategy Are they gone back to you know more volume uh what are
1: they doing well it's probably i i probably study the guys who appeal to me so they're doing more of a minimalist yeah uh, of programming where you're working up to you know you got your back sets your feeder sets so to speak which are you know still going to be heavy but the the big set you know working up to a every triple or a heavy five that's the guys i i look at and you know they still do different things like they'll do uh rack deads or they'll do deficit deadlifts and all that which you know if you have trouble off the floor hey that's okay do some deficit deads but and the, the we, and, we need, and
2: we need contrast right we can't yeah. do the same thing right year round you're in you're out you you, yeah. you have to every routine no matter how sophisticated or effective has a shelf life yeah and you have to recognize when that you know, when that expiration date has occurred and then you've got to switch to something and it's got to be a vital contrast. It can't be a slight
1: contrast.
2: A Slight contrast is no change at all. Yeah.
1: And I think that raw, you know, we talked about this more. You talked about how many people were in the Raw Nationals. That's that stuff works better with our philosophy. Okay. Bare bones when, when, when you have to have a seminar to teach people how to use the bench shirt. Now we're, we're talking about a whole different sport. You know, that, well, that...
2: F- thank God there's only six people show up for that. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you know why? It's a pain in the ass. Well, it's, it's, a... it's, it's artificial. It's ridiculous. It's, again, as I, as I pointed out, if somebody invented a, a track shoe that allowed it a, a high school senior who runs an 11 second hundred meter to run a nine second hundred meter, that shoe would be banned so fast your head would spin. But in our ridiculous sport, they, uh, oh, no, we'll allow that. There was a lot of money involved. There was a lot of, you know, it was it, was, uh, it, it got perverted. The equipment perverted pure strength, period. You know, it's Jim, funny.
1: Go ahead, JP.
0: Sorry. Jim, I just want to ask you, you know, you follow uh, some of the, the newer guys, the up and coming guys. I mean. Are they, are, are the records today, are many of them being broken or when they're broken, are they broken by a small amount? Is it? you know, what, what, what is going on out there? Because we've talked about this many times before, you know, have we reached the pinnacle of the evolution of human strength? How much further can we possibly go?
1: Uh, well, Ray Williams is, is a raw guy, big, big dude. He's, but he's probably, I don't know how big he is, but close to 400 maybe? I don't want to misspeak, but, you know, he's he squatted IPF over 1,000. Um, mm. So so he's he's super strong. But, you know, there's definitely some strong guys out there. Uh, but I tell you, listen to this, Marty. The knee sleeves and singlets that they wear now, I always think of are very comparable to what Kirk was wearing. Right. With the, I mean, literally, JP, you could put your hand up Kirk's thigh. You know, it was so loose. Oh, yeah, really? And he, yeah, he would say... He, when he hit, hit 980 for a double or something, or 975 or something, and Bob Myers says to him, you changed suits this week. What, what was the deal? And he goes, I went with a looser suit for a 1,000 for two.
2: Right.
1: A looser suit. So and, and then the wraps. And then if you put on these sleeves, man, let me tell you, they are just like the wraps. There's very little difference.
2: Well, so, if, you, if you have to put knee sleeves on with two pairs of pliers. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right i i couldn't get them on so i went to a strength coach clinic and i went to the booth where this real popular knee sleeve is and the guy's like and I, okay you got to put them on upside down you know and roll them up and dude he i had, had a couple people help me put them put them up to my knees i was like maybe i should get a large or an extra large he's like no no get the large this
0: this Mom. this reminds me of the time i did uh calves and slacks and uh I had rolled my my pants up to my my knees, and after I got done, I couldn't roll my my pants back down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've told you guys that story, yeah. but yeah, I I don't know, you know, and that's that's maybe another little reason too why why the the gear is so popular for some. It's because you know we're kind of we're kind of have reached the peak of raw strength so it's like okay where do you go from there well start putting suits on and gear and all this other stuff
1: yeah you know uh back to the gyms i was thinking about this earlier don't you every gym you've gone in that you that ends up being a great gym where you go oh man that was a great gym you feel the energy when you walk in it's different Right. Well,
0: yes, and you're like a family too. It's like a family atmosphere. Everybody's looking out for each other, spotting each other, competing together, doing
1: things like that. Yeah. What do you think, Marty? Oh
2: yeah, that's that's what we've replicated. In, yeah. uh With Donnie's little gym and those guys do compete and uh, everybody's it, exercising is different than training, right, Jim? Right. Right. And we train, and when you train, you, you, you have a, a, a periodized schedule that uh, you're, you're looking to follow, and, and you have a plan. And I think that that's what, what also is lacking. In, in my, I think there's so few facilities out there that uh, are, when we talk about Vibe, I, you know, I, I don't see that.
1: I don't see that anywhere, do you? Yeah, well, the gym I go to now is the first gym I've been in since Mac. Maryland Athletic Club back in the early 90s that has that type of energy because the owners are into into lifting into getting big and strong they're into fighting they're, you know it's you have a, you have uh, three or four platforms right there guys are actually getting after it couple guys
2: the problem with hardcore gyms has always been that most of the hardcore guys are always financially strapped it's a very tough thing to yeah. make. go of it in these facilities and because you are brothers in arms I can't make my payment this month okay no problem let it slide and then all of a sudden you have 10 guys sliding and it goes out of business yeah it's yeah let me finish it's not commercially viable to have your friends and then try to charge them money it never works it never works
0: but I'll tell you the best gyms ever, and this is kind of what we're talking about, is owner-operator gyms because I've been I've been a member of you know these big chain gyms, and it's a it's a wreck. They've got crap equipment in there. they it's always broken. Uh, the maintenance guy comes in to fix it. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing, and and this, you know you literally have to tighten bolts with your hands an owner operator situation, the guy, the owner himself, and maybe his wife or, you know, whatever is in there using the equipment themselves. They know, you know, when this equipment is in tune and when it's not. And, and then, you know, like we said, along with that comes the camaraderie in there and, and everything else. So uh, I, I don't know that I have, I signed up at a, a big box gym around here when I moved to Texas and uh, it, you know, it's been okay. It's kind of a, like a, you know, a medium, uh, high-end gym. Uh, yeah. I was just looking for a good equipment to go in early and, and train, and they've got a, a lot of squat racks and things like that. But, you know, I miss the old school type of gyms that you just don't see around so much anymore.
1: Marty, Marty, you've seen, then, JP, you've seen the uh, Ronnie Coleman where he trained. Uh, yeah. you know, Brian, yeah, in
2: Arlington. And- Metroflex.
1: Yeah, so that – I think Brian Dobson has done the right thing, man. He is trying to get that back, and I mean, he's definitely got it back with his place. There's some strong dudes in there, but you know, they franchise, and the unique thing is, is that the franchises have their own personality too. You know, uh, it's not like, oh, you have many cardio machines. Like, I went to the one in Fort Worth Metro, and, and they had that atmosphere, man. And I love, I love the gyms where they got a ring, they got a boxing ring. Or an MMA ring in the gym—that's when you know you're in a good place, man. Yeah. Well,
0: I've been to the one in Long Beach, California. I was there a few times, and it's funny. And you're right; they're all different. There's there's no cookie cutting. There's no template. It's just all over the place, and it's so funny. Um, there's graffiti all over the walls. No two pieces of equipment is the same or the same brand. Right. The dumbbells are five different types of dumbbells. You know, pro style, solid steel uh hex you know it's just all over and people dig it you know they i think the the one in long beach i think if i remember right had like a dj booth like up like an elevated dj booth and it's like and that's where they do all the magazine shoots for uh you know all the all the bodybuilding right. magazines and social media and stuff like that because it's like a hip place to work out with all the graffiti and all the anything goes atmosphere and yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. But but right, Arlington, right. I, I haven't been to that one. It's not too far from me. What
1: were you gonna say, Marty?
0: Go ahead, Marty.
2: I don't think I could work out in a gym that has a DJ booth.
1: Walk in around. Well, as long as
2: they're playing Slayer and <laughs>
1: Metallica no, and all that other stuff. No, like
2: I, I, I don't I don't need them to play me anything. Okay. <laughs> Just, you have your just, earbuds. Just just leave the music off, please. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So anyway, go ahead. Let me ask. Let me ask you. Who
0: was you started at about the age of eleven? You started, you know, a few years before Jim and I did. But uh, who was your local mentor? I'm not talking about guys in magazines that you looked at and stuff like that. But who who kind of took you under their wing early and just it clicked for you that hey, this is me. This is
2: what i'm going to be doing i was always a self-motivator i didn't need any of that i burned for it uh the fact that these people came into my orbit i was training with the iranian uh national champion by the time i was 16 it was an olympic lifting but they gravitated toward me because i had i had my basement my father we had a, a house that had an unfinished large basement and I started by myself, and I didn't need anyone. But but because of my alpha personality, I attracted guys from my neighborhood that they wanted what I was obtaining. It was obvious. By the time I was fourteen, I'd won the senior men's DCAAU Olympic weightlifting championships. Damn. Okay, I pressed I pressed two thirty when I was fourteen. Okay, uh, so people my boys gravitated toward me then the circle got larger because i had the grown men when i would compete i had a guy named glenn middleton who was a real power player he came up to me and he said son you got it and he was the one who introduced me to hugh cassidy he introduced me to the fellow's name is this fellow's name is artishan bagaport and he worked for bechtel glenn middleton was a was a big-time engineer for bechtel one of the largest engineering firms in the world. They had a, their office was in uh, Gaithersburg, Maryland. So Middleton said, look, I'm gonna send you some, some guys, you need to be exposed. So that's how I got exposed to Q. Uh, Artisan started training with us. Um, so he would come over and, you know, we would pick up his clues. He was looking for, and, and, and he was fine with the fact that we were just kids because we were so on fire yeah right and and that's what he needed and and he helped us he gave us all the the advanced techniques uh we helped him because he just wanted the energy
1: yeah and you injected that energy and he injected his uh, his knowledge man that was his
2: his his wisdom
1: yeah great trade-off
2: Right. And then because of that, we got introduced to the wider circle of uh, Olympic lifting was a big deal in Washington, D.C. in the 60s. And I got introduced to Mickey Collins, who was a stud. Mickey, uh, in one one year, he won the Junior National Powerlifting Championships at 198. Uh, he won the Regional Olympic Lifting Championships at 198. And he took fourth in the mr america he's all
1: around dude man yeah
2: yeah and he had his first guy i ever saw to have like 19 inch arms and and he was like he he took me under his wing and then we they they had gonzaga high school which became the the central place in washington dc for olympic weightlifting anybody could come in on saturday or sunday it was open and you could come in and you could train there so we would train twice a week in the basement during the week, and then on the weekend we would go down to Gonzaga and train down there with the big boys. That was and, a
1: good atmosphere, wasn't
2: it? Oh, they loved us. They were like, "Ah, here come the kids!" You know, yeah, you guys. You know, and, and so I got uh, I got sucked into that that very early, luckily. And uh, you know, a guy like Cassidy, Hugh was a um, a failed Olympic lifter there was a lot of failed Olympic lifters. I'm a failed Olympic lifter. I never mastered those techniques to the way that I should have. I, I didn't come close to harnessing my strength. I just bull those weights up. Yeah. So when powerlifting kind of came along, it was like, Hey, you know what? Uh, all these guys that don't have these, this lightning fast central nervous system and don't have this incredible flexibility, um, we became powerlifters and it was perfect for us and it came along at just the right time and you had a guy like Cassidy he he had years of Olympic lifting experience under his belt before he turned to powerlifting and what do Olympic lifters do man they squat deep brother and they got great backs right so we came into powerlifting with incredible legs and incredible back strength and Bang, we were off to the races. Like let those and everybody else who came into powerlifting, they were big benchers with with piano legs, right? And hollow backs. And we crushed them. And we say, Great, you have your 400 pound bench, I'll have my 275 pound bench, but the meat don't start till the bar gets on the floor, right, Jim?
1: That's right. I was just gonna think of the same thing. That's right. That's where you make up all your all your uh... All your numbers are in a squat and a deadlift.
2: Yeah. And come around to deadlift. We we handed it all back to them. They'd build up a hundred, hundred and fifty pound leading us in the bench press. It's like, all right, crack our knuckles and you know, we'd open with a hundred pounds more than they finished with. Yeah. Yeah. Jim,
0: um, you were a head strength coach at Penn for what, 20 years? Yeah. Two or three of the so... best months
2: of your life, right, Jen? <laughs>
0: So you were obviously mentor to a lot of those athletic kids coming up. In fact, one of your kids was just in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Justin Watson, Buccaneers, yep. wide receiver.
1: Yeah. So, I, always, I mean. I'm just regurgitating what, what my mentors yeah. taught me, you know. And then it's funny. I had a guy who was an offensive. I went to Montgomery Community College for two years when I came out of high school my best friend there was Chris, and he was big, strong dude. Marty, 6'10", squat, playing, playing you know, as a freshman in college. Right. Uh, deep, man, deep, and strong, 470 bench. You know, this is a freshman in college, and was he got it? his weight like, 275, something like that. Just was his, he
2: crushing people?
1: Yeah, he was a good player, and he was a good player because he was so strong because um, he didn't have a lot of talent, but he could just grab your clips, man, and just run you, you know. Yeah,
2: that's what we call a nose guard.
1: Yeah, well, he was playing offensive guard. We had some great battles. But anyway, so years. And so what did we do? We squatted once a week. We deadlifted once a week. We benched twice a week. Mm -hmm. We did tons of behind the necks. He was doing 315 for five. I did 275 for five. We had the behind the neck stand. Like the bar. Yep,
2: yep, yep,
1: yep. I was like, oh, we got to get that. You know, it was in in my girlfriend's basement. So fast forward 20 years. He comes to visit me at Penn. It may have been more than 20 years. And he goes man what are you what are you doing with these kids man you're doing the band stuff you're doing that i was like nah man the only thing i've added is the clean from what we've done yeah you know, we front press because the kids have so many shoulder problems i don't do behind the necks i don't want to hear about it i huh. think it's a good yeah. exercise but i don't hear about it so we we press we squat we bench he's like no way you're still doing the same stuff i'm like chris that's what works man that's, that's what works. works yeah that's what yeah. works you know so um so so to your point jp or to your question yeah, I'm just doing the same stuff that I learned, um, you know. And then you gotta do a little running, a little boxing stuff like that. But it's all the same, the same techniques, and it's all the same philosophy, you know. And, and to
2: loop back around to the original point, I think another big, big thing was is that you had the back, back when there was a proliferation of these these hardcore gyms sprinkled all over the United States, we would gather. For the junior nationals. And again, the junior nationals were important because they were open to anyone who had not placed first, second, or third at a nationals. Well, that's a lot of damn people. I mean, you could, you know. Um, and you also had Jimmy, and this was important, was a big deal in powerlifting, was the collegiate nationals. And the collegiate nationals, man, that that was another breeding ground because those guys, I mean University of Maryland, uh, they won the Collegiate Nationals a couple of years. In fact, one of Hughes, one of the guys that Hugh really respected was a guy named Guy Borelli. And uh, the Guy was, I don't know, maybe five, six and probably about 230. And Hugh said, I saw him one time run his head through a door. I said, <laughs> he said, he said that he said that inspired me to do network. <laughs> <laughs> this are the kind of guys. I would imagine there was some alcohol involved at that in that sure. particular incident. But but the, and and when you would go to the juniors and when you would go to the collegiate nationals, that would be the incubator. Like Jim said, you, that's where you would gather. All right, who's kicking ass? Who's really standing out? And then you meet them at the bar. You, you meet them at the restaurant. What are you guys doing? Yeah. And everybody was like very open because they wanted to know what you were doing for your deadlift because maybe their deadlift sucked and it's Marty, like, hey. I asked
1: Dan Austin that exact question. What do you do in the off for your deadlift? That's where I learned the mm-hmm. quick turnaround where you don't touch the ground, yeah, slowly and turn it around fast. And that's what he was doing in the off season. I use mm-hmm. that with my with my athletes all the time. And and by by, by the way,
2: Dan Austin was a guy who won uh, world championships at 148 and 165 pounds. He I coached him when he won uh, champion of champions at the 1991 world championships in Sweden, where Danny pulled what did he pull 741 world record.
1: He's wearing like 148 JP. I mean, this guy and he never looks like he's straining. Marty mm-hmm. walks up to the bar, takes the slack out, and everything looks easy.
2: Except when you're up real close. When you're up real close to Dan, there's a there's a there's a fire. There's a quiet fire that that right. yeah. And I remember before he went out for the world record, uh, he he looked at me and his man, his eyes were burned. He put his two fists up to me and he yelled, "Give me some power, Marty." I was like, "Man, I lost my mind." Yeah, yeah, I'll get I get you. Put, I put my hands on his and he went out and pulled that thing. That was one of the high points of my life. I felt like I helped. That was badass. You didn't have to slap him, huh? No, 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 no. This it was, was a this this was, this was a different animal. This was yeah. a this was a different dude. This was a, this was quiet fire. This was cold fire. This was ferocity that I mean, he was jiggling up close. You could see his body was just vibrating, right? And he's ready to just go rip this thing apart. And then Immediately afterwards, he would just zen out. It would yeah. just be Bew. all right. Now we got to get that. That was great. I just pulled the world record. We got to get ready for the bench. Yeah, no wasted energy. No. no. Because, Kirk, Kirk, uh... Kirk, Kirk, Kirk had to learn that too. Kirk had to learn uh, deceleration. Kirk was Kirk and John Cup were the greatest psychers I ever saw in my life. And But Kirk had to learn how to <laughs> get that maximum size, but then get back into the neutral space as quick as possible because we have bench presses and deadlifts yeah. yet to go. So that that was a that was a lesson that that took a little while. And and we and we learned that on the local level. You know, you that's where you 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 get your chops down competing locally where there's no real pressure and you get all the kinks worked out.
1: So when you go to the juniors or the nationals. For the world, you're ready, right? Yeah, this makes me laugh about Kirk because uh, he was. I was sitting at his house one day and we're watching old videos of him lifting. And he's at chalets. You're probably there, Marty. And he was young, man. And he was all he had suit on, wraps and all that. And I, I think it was the first time he had tried a thousand and came up with it. I don't know what he thought about the depth or whatever, but I remember when he got done, everybody, especially Chalet, was like, "All right, easy, 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 easy." Because right, I guess right. after he got a <laughs> A weight like that things were going to go you know he's going to start throwing stuff or he was going to start punching you know whatever but they were, i remember everybody going all right all right easy, yeah. easy. good job clear dude. out yeah
2: <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah get back to get back to neutral you can't you can't overflow it's it's counterproductive yeah right <laughs> what what do you
0: guys think about What is in store for powerlifting in the future? Marty, there's this um, great article that you wrote that we posted a while back. It's called how CrossFit saved powerlifting from the magical shoes it's and you go into talking about how powerlifting was just dying a horrible death. Then along comes CrossFit and all of a sudden, everybody's wanting to compete in, you know, the, the three lifts, you know, deadlift and, and squat and bench and, and do all this stuff. Um, I was talking to Gillingham yesterday and I was kind of asking him some questions about this. And he said, pre COVID 2020, he said USA powerlifting was at the all time peak with 25,000 members. So he said, it's the biggest it's been ever. And I said, what do you attribute that to? He said, raw lifting.
1: Yeah. So by way of CrossFit though, I think, I think that had a big, like Morty said, a big, a big deal, man. It really had a lot to do with it. People I it. that was everything. Yeah, right. and, and also Olympic lifting. Their their membership went up too yeah. with CrossFit.
0: Yeah. So it seems like things are kind of coming around and on the up and up again. No,
1: and no, 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 no. That's, that's
0: don't think tot-
2: so? no, because of the pandemic. Okay, things are totally up in the air right now. How do you? Well, com- I got that, but I'm sorry. Well, I'm, well, pandemic. well, we ha- Yeah, when is that going to be? Well, nobody knows, but it's going to end one day, hopefully. But, but well, how can you – I mean, how can well, I'm you, not a scientist.
0: I can't give you an exact date, but I'm, I'm saying – I'm not asking
2: I'm, for that. I'm not asking for an exact date, but I'm telling you there's no way that we can predict, oh, oh powerlifting is going to do great as soon as this is over. It could be two years. No one knows. What's your opinion? My, what do you mean, my opinion on what?
0: What's your opinion on how, how powerlifting goes forward – from here does it get better does does the, the raw come back into the mainstream and everybody says forget the gear or you know what's your opinion of the how ge- this is going to carry the, on the,
2: the, the gear is dead okay yeah. that that i, I don't but, but there's no predicting i have no predictions for the future of anything i really don't it's, this is this is unprecedented there's not going to be some happy, oh, now we're going to start having meets where we have 400 people compete again. I don't, I don't see that in anywhere in the, in the near future or maybe the far future.
1: Mm.
0: Jim, you
2: feel the same way?
1: Yeah, it's pretty sad because everything's so – I mean, i got a, a client who I've been training online forever, and she's doing a powerlifting meet next weekend. But uh, when I tell my guys, hey, check to see if there's a meet, there's no meets, man. Yeah. Meets.
2: And, 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 and and when they do have a meet, the attendance is down, you know, to you know to 20% of what it was.
1: At least. Oh, at least. If they yeah. even no,
2: no, I mean no, 80% down, they got yeah. 20% of what they used to have. I think, yeah. and it doesn't make it viable yeah. for the for the promoters. They they were making they were making bank when they were having these the overflow of these raw lifters. Uh, but now it's just that you know the promoters are like well you know we we can't guarantee any participation um much less an audience a paying audience yeah right and it's not that the interest is down it's just
0: this pandemic
1: exactly you know
0: trying to figure that out
1: the
2: the the interest is at its peak and i had it not come along i'm i I feel that it would have been healthy and vibrant and it would have grown
1: hey there's a Go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. No, I'm fine.
2: No, go ahead, Jimmy.
1: There's another guy who developed his own tribe. Brad Gillingham. I cool. mean, Brad Gillingham. How about that tiny little town in Minnesota where he lives? And he's yeah. got champion lifters from a bunch of locals, you know? Uh, he,
0: yeah. yeah, absolutely. And he also does a lot of work with, um, you know, he's got two daughters that, that came up in track and volleyball and all that. So they're they're in college now, but through high school, you know, he trained them. I think he was training the the whatever teams they were on the volleyball team, track team, and all that yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, he's got uh, him and his. I think it's him and his brother, right? They have Jackals Gym.
1: Yeah, is that an? I guess that's like his basement gym, or I'm not sure.
0: But anyway, no, anyway well,
1: Marty brought that point up about you know it's it's the the potential is there if you have that kind of coach. You know, and, and he can right. see who has the potential and who does. I mean, he lives in the middle of nowhere, dude. He's got yeah. some really strong lifters.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, uh he lives in a Brad lives in a town of I think six thousand. Yeah. And I believe he sent uh oh, I don't know, fourteen guys to national and world championships. How about that?
1: How about that? <laughs> That's a tribe.
0: He, uh, he's, he's actually training my daughter right now on, you know, started with deadlift and all that. And I'm totally just blown away and ecstatic and grateful. Um, they're, you know, they're doing it by zoom. So she's in North Carolina, he's in uh, Minnesota and they're just having a great time together. You know, he loves training girls. He trained his, his daughters coming up. So he, you know he uh he gels real good with with training these young girls and women um but she is just loving it she's making gains you know she's a personal trainer so i wanted to get them together and uh have you know him teach her all the the techniques for um you know the deadlift and um he's now going into the squat and bench press with her and uh it's just really cool i told him i said dude i'm so honored that you know, you're, you're helping me out and training my kid and, uh, she's real happy. So, uh, but they're just having a good time, but yeah, he's, he's up in Minnesota 50 below zero. I think he said the other day, crazy. No, he's such a good dude. We got to have him on again. I asked him about coming on. He said, absolutely. Uh, he's going to start training more and more people. And, uh, I think he's going to start this training with my daughter is kind of getting him, Um, kind of geared up for the online thing because, you know, a lot of the, the older school uh, powerlifting guys aren't necessarily up on the latest technology and zoom and internet and all that stuff. So he's kind of getting uh, his feet wet right now with that. So I said, dude, get a website. I'll help you out, you know, get started. I mean, there's no reason you can't get tons of clients all over the world to teach them, yeah, you know whatever lift they want to learn so just kind of like you guys are doing yeah man how is your uh, you guys both of you How how is your online training doing especially right now in these times
1: I just lost a client to Marty the lady said well I got in touch with Marty so we're good <laughs> <laughs> no problem man no problem they asked me uh, well what's the difference between you and Marty and I said he's been lifting for 60 years and I've been lifting for 40 years so you know Whatever, whatever. You know, so he's got a little more. There's mercy. a little bit more to it than that, but that's okay. Yeah, he you know, gets a little grumpy, and I'm Mister Happy Go Lucky. You
2: know. Yeah, yeah. I'm Mister. Won- I'm Mister Wonderful. Yeah. I I have clients in uh, India, Australia, Germany, Switzerland. Where else? Uh, all over, all over the place, right? Uh, the the film. Video is opened up everything. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And you yeah. know, it's all about get teaching them how to get the right angles, and then boom, it's all I don't know if you're doing. Are you guys doing much live stuff like on Zoom, or are they awesome. just kind of pre-recording and sending you the files?
1: Marty, you do, don't you? I don't do so much live,
2: but I have them video their um, their top sets, and you're I talk right to. Them. Them. I talk to them every week. We I talk for the best part of an hour each week with the person. We we determine where, where, what has happened and what we want to have happen, and we make we make subtle adjustments. That's the the the, the key to coaching is being able to make subtle adjustments to your uh, your your periodized schedule. It's not uh, humans are not robots, and you you know you can you can lay out a periodization schedule, but there, it you know, there's always adjustments and bobbles and, Oh, I had to work 70 hours this that week hurts. or, you know, me and my wife are, you know, separating or, you know, son, just my kid's sick. And you, you have to be able to, uh, and, and also to sense stagnation and, and sense it's so much of it is psychological. You really have to know your, Know the person that you're working with, and and work with them to keep them motivated. If they're motivated, uh, the exercises themselves can be altered or changed. Or, uh, but what you want to avoid is is this this stagnation. You can't allow stagnation to take root because it's so hard to recreate the momentum. Everybody gets momentum for the first three to four weeks, right, Jim? Yep, just like with a diet. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's what happens after that. And, and that, that's, that's the hard part. Yeah, yeah. Jim, are you, are you,
1: are you doing any bodybuilder coaching? Now most of it, they're, they're just dudes and women who have freaking stressful jobs and a bunch of kids and they got out of shape and they want to get strong again. And they want to get, you know, they want a little help with their diet and they want to just feel good again. Huh. You know? That's where most of it is. I never, now I've had a bunch that compete in powerlifting, but with the way that happens is they get to a certain strength level. And I go, you know, you ought to just do a meet, man, just do it as like a training, day. you know, you yep. make it a big deal. Right. And uh, so a lot of them, a lot of them go ahead and, and, and do a couple meets, you know, it doesn't really fit their lifestyle as the weekends with the kids and all that, but I want them to get that experience, you know, when they're showing that kind of, uh, kind of motivation. But
2: oh, man, absolutely. And that, and, and again, when you have that looming date with destiny, you only think you're training hard until you've got send that check in. Yeah. You've got a competition coming up in six weeks, five weeks, four weeks, three weeks, two weeks. You know, and again, you only think you're training hard until you have a date with destiny. Yeah.
0: Marty, you wrote a uh, article on that. I think it's uh compete in everything or something it's called, right.
2: Uh, I don't for that very
0: that. reason, you set a date and or, you just, you know, you bust your ass to really meet those numbers and get in that meet and, uh, put yourself you know I mean? on this put yourself on the spot
1: right right i got it right. like that client who's she's competing this weekend i said it i'm so proud of you because it takes such guts to get up yep. there that's it right. really does man that's it's, right you know i love it when people put down fighters or are you in there are you are, are you in there when that gate <laughs> closes do you know how it feels do you know how it feels when you're when you got that bar on your back and you know i have
2: i have i have known so many lifters and bodybuilders over the years and jim you're gonna you're gonna chime in on this one that they're never good enough and they're always gonna compete and it's always right around the corner but i just need a little more time and then all of a sudden 10 years have passed and they're out of it they quit they're gone yeah and we had a guy a you might have known him, Jamie, Jamie. I can't remember Jamie's last name. Jamie was a big-time bodybuilder out of the Wheaton Golds. And he was way better than those, those two little uh, Hispanic brothers that, that later did well. And Jamie was never good enough. He was always – I think he won the Teenage Nationals. Wow. And everybody was expecting him to be, you know, the next uh, uh, Casey Viator, right? He, he was that kind of a physique. And I, you know, Jamie trained with me. He was a legitimate 400-pound bencher, uh, and strong guy, and great physique. But he was that—that that he had that psychological tick that he was never quite good enough to put it out there. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden, he's past his peak, and it's yeah. it's gone. No so now, now, how about your your lady that's competing? What is what's the circumstances? Is it just a, a regular competition and
1: yeah she's doing a usapl meet i I won't let her do see i she goes oh what about this federation i said listen yeah you're gonna get pissed off when somebody beats you and they're squatting high yeah you know usapl you you can guarantee i'm sure there's some some exceptions but people are squatting deep and you're doing legit lifts so she was a crossfitter and a um a rower you know Mm -hmm. she uh, on a rowing team that i had trained of A a, a real athlete right yeah. And she's very competitive. And, you know, she's, she's, uh, you know, I always think like, well, what were my worries when I did my first meet? You know, what do I bring to eat? What do I, what happens in the ups? What, right. you know, how long, you know, all that stuff right, that I right, right, right. just don't answer in that pre pre uh, meet meeting, you know, so I was just trying to help her with that. And just to have a good time. She's probably close to 50. I would say. and How about that? Close to 50 and doing her first meet. I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. amazingly proud of her, man. And Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's what we do with our guys. Um, I, I think everybody that's walked into Don Barry's gym, I don't, well, a couple of exceptions, none of them have ever competed, and now they've all competed. Yeah. And that now they all seek to compete, right. well, you know, prior to the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, again they understand now that it takes their game to their, their physique and their performance to the next level.
1: Yeah.
2: Totally agree. Marty, we got to get one or two of those guys on and just talk us through the experience. I think that'd be interesting. Nope. No no problem. You could, you could throw a dart. uh, I've got 25 guys that you could Toss the ball to any one of them because we all do the same thing. It's 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 very cookie cutter what, what it is we do, but the individual cases are, are completely unique. Yeah, we we should do that. I've got a couple guys in mind that are very literate, uh, and guys that had zero athletic background.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's the amazing thing. Change their physiques and change their lives. Yeah, right. they have a, they have a completely different self perception because they they're muscled up and they're strong and everybody around them goes, wow, you have, what happened? And it's like, yep. And that fires them up even more. Yeah, yeah, Right. So yeah, we've got a, that's a good idea, JP. We should, we should do that. And just, uh, and Jimmy can, I'm sure you can do the same thing. Did Jason get any, any playing time in?
1: Justin, um, Justin, I'm sorry. Uh, he, he got hurt early on in the season. So he was starting and then, uh, he was just special teams. Wow. He was starting. He was starting. Wow. And then they got, they signed Antonio Brown. They signed, you know, when uh, he got hurt. So mm-hmm. just doing special teams, but Justin's the type of kid who he doesn't care, man. You know, uh, let me just tell this quick story about Justin. So yeah. Justin has a, has a brother who has some uh, developed bad developmental issues and in, in is in a home. And uh, he was at high school practice. This is his personality. This is why he's like this. And, and, uh, He was complaining the whole day because he got a new pair of shoes, new pair of cleats, and they were giving him blisters, and he was complaining all the way over to see his brother, and he said he walked into his brother's room, and, you know, his brother can't talk, can't, you know, can't eat on his own, and his brother smiled, and he said, I'm never going to complain about anything again as long as I live. Yeah. And that's his attitude about everything, man. Hey, I'm playing special teams. I just won the Super Bowl, you know, and he has a totally different outlook than a lot of these pampered athletes let me tell you, he's never been pampered, you know. So, I think
2: he's a, I think he's a physiological overachiever.
1: Yeah, yeah. He sets up chairs in his in his living room and does patterns against the chairs. I mean, he's that mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, I, it's like, like
2: Hen, Hen, Hendricks taking his guitar into the bathroom.
1: That's right. Or or Eddie Van Halen yep. grabbing a six pack of Schlitz. I read this, and he's mm-hmm. sitting on his bed every night playing till three in the morning just pray. Yep. everybody else is going out he's got his schlitz and his guitar yep.
0: and the cherry on top about justin is he's
1: just such a great kid he's a he's a great human being so yep. uh but uh yeah well, we, he's really
0: helping to see him play but uh, we
1: brought him to, to help train the special forces guys and he did the exact right thing he didn't say a word for like the first five hours or whatever he just observed and if somebody needed help he helped And those guys started to respect him a little more because, you know, you got a pro football player coming in that, you know, they all think he's going to be cocky. And by the end of the day, or actually the second day, he was training with the guys.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's what I was going to say is that that, that he really turned the corner when he threw in and started doing the work. Well, Jim, do you remember they they wanted, the guys wanted him to
0: play like flag football or something. (laughs) And it was a dilemma because he was like telling us, he goes, ah, man, I don't know. I go, dude, I wouldn't. I mean, this is a chance of a lifetime, but I, I don't know, man. I, don't, I don't want you to get injured. He's like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Didn't say no. Well,
1: you were using him
0: uh, to like show, like demonstrate some of the lists. I think you used him on the
1: deadlift. Yeah, the clean, probably too, and yeah. some other stuff. Yeah, yeah, good kid. Yeah.
0: So, anyway, uh, we should probably wrap that up, <laughs> unless anybody's got anything else. Yes, I got- no. Perfect.
1: I think we do. You want well, to know what I'm reading, don't you? Oh,
0: yeah, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, I get
1: emails all the time about, well, give us more books. Marty, you get <laughs> <laughs> I always have a couple books going. So I'm reading uh, Finishing the Terminal List by Jack Carr. Jack was a Navy SEAL um, and always wanted to be a writer. As Muller was a librarian, so he wanted to do two things in his life, be a Navy SEAL, which he did for year, 12 years, something like that. As soon as he got out, he started writing, and he's on his fourth or fifth book now, and it's it's great because... There's no political correctness in these books, right? The, the, What's his vintage, Jimmy? Well, the first one is Terminalist is about revenge.
2: No, but I mean, oh, h- how old of a
1: guy are we talking oh. here? Was he like a Vietnam era seal or? A... No, no, no. He's he's like 40, 42, something like that. Okay, he, All right. right. Uh, so, so he was in um, uh, Fallujah and Afghanistan yeah. and all that. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so uh, he writes it He's like all these great books I read when I was a kid were all about the hero, you know, something tragic happening. And then uh, then revenge. They're, the, the terminal list, they're setting him up and a bunch of his guys get killed on a mission and they set this they set uh, the lead character up and he's going to get everybody. He's going to get everybody that's screwed with him, man. I love it, you know. So I'm reading and this that. This sounds
0: like a this sounds like a great book to read while you're doing yeah, That car, you gotta read it. And
1: you know what? It's really good on Audible also. So I have both. I have the hard copy and I have the audible. So when I'm driving, um, really good, very well done. And I'm also reading all expenses paid. I, it's about an infantryman in um, in Vietnam. And he and he really is very descriptive on his like his first mission, how his heart heart was beating, how his you know, they were soaking wet. They were, you know, they were out there for 10 days and you know, they're on an ambush and it's one of the best I've read by John uh, Lawner. I think that's his name. Very good. Very Let
0: me good. ask you something now that you're living the life of leisure over there. Yeah. I mean, how many hours a day do you dedicate to uh, reading books? Because I mean, you're burning through these books left and right.
1: Um, so if I'm going to, so my sons play baseball, they go to a baseball place from, you know, 5:30 to seven, pretty much four days a week. I'll read during that time. Uh, and then I read every night before I go to bed for, probably an hour before I fall okay. asleep. So, so
0: yeah. Hour and a half, two, two hours a day, maybe.
1: Yeah, I, I would die without it, man. I love reading Good. so much, man. It, it is such an inner, and it's always been, when I first got my driver's license, my mom said, what are you gonna do? And I said, I'm going to Crown Books. I'm going to Crown Books. <laughs> first Really? Thing, you know, I wasn't it going- wasn't
0: to wasn't the gym never. or the
1: bar, huh? Yeah, well, I'd already lifted, so I, I had to go. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: Marty, what are you reading?
2: Oh, what am I reading? Um, I always have two or three books going. What am I reading? Uh, um, I'm rereading Camille Paglia, Uh the the great female intellectual writer. She is so dead on. She's smarter than any five people I know, but she really has a good take on men and masculinity. Uh, You know, here, like, a quote of hers is she, you know, she says... Uh, a woman simply is, but a man must become. Masculinity is risky and elusive. It is achieved by a revolt from women, and it is confirmed by other men. Feminist fantasies about the ideal sensitive male have failed. Manhood coerced into sensitivity is no manhood at all. They should be
1: playing that every day
2: now. I know, baby. Uh, what else am I reading? I'm also reading uh, rereading. I'm rereading uh, the biography of uh, Leon Trotsky, the mm. architect behind the, the communist revolution. Mm. He was the the brains behind Lenin. Uh, he was actually a Jewish guy who changed his name, uh, but it's just fascinating portrait of a, a guy who really changed the the history of civilization. Uh, of course, he was you know. A, mass murder but uh, still it was an interesting take by a guy who who really knew uh, knows his subject in, inside and out and my fiction I'm reading um, rereading some Balzac up. Balzac to me was the great French writer honore de Balzac he was sort of the, the Charlie Parker of literature he was the best the best use of words uh, he was just a, a magician with the way that he he, he formulates his, his words. I'm, I'm in love with his, his writing. I'm not so much in love with his storytelling, but I, I love the sentence structure and, and his flow. He's just like an like improvisational jazz musician. It's just wonderful to read, and it, it inspires me as a writer, so I, I periodically tone back into him. Also, I wanted to mention I I have been rewatching the Justified series on television, and I am convinced that that is everybody says that the Sopranos was the greatest TV series ever written. But I'm convinced that Justified blows the Sopranos wow, into the That knees. is so big. Uh, uh, well, no, I mean, first off, it's 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 you know is created by Leonard Elmore, who we love as a, as a writer, anybody who knows Leonard Elmore, amazing writer. The, you can never predict as a writer. It's easy for me to predict how most of these shows are going to yeah. turn out, but, yeah. but with, with, and it was based on the book fire in the hole. And Walton Goggins is the greatest him. And uh, what's the English guy like um, Tom, Tom Hardy. Yeah, Tom Hardy and Walton Goggins are the two greatest young actors in the world. His portrayal of Boyd Crowder is just unbelievable. Uh, It's just, he just eats up the screen every time he comes on. And uh, he, he also puts me in mind, in fact, I read an interview with him and he said, I'm trying to represent the guys that I grew up with in the deep South. He said, you know, he said, Not, it's not always the guy with the most education who's the smartest man in the room. No question. Well, that's profound. Okay, and I I just, I just love it. I recommend it, and I can't get enough of it. So, if you get a chance, check out Justified. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Cisco and Ebert of Strength. You're welcome. We appreciate that. You're welcome, Camille Pagan, um, Balzac, and Justified.
0: So, Marty, uh, I want to let everybody know to check out your weekly column, Raw with Marty Gallagher, at IronCompany.com. Just go up to the top of the website, uh, click on Articles, and we've got a new one in there every week. And it's you know on anything from resistance training to cardio to diet to Lamborghinis, Lamborghini's train
2: to Lamborghinis,
1: La- yeah Lamborghinis everything. Hey, nobody They're... can find your book anywhere, Marty. Nobody
2: yeah, can... I know it's out of print. We're trying to get Dragon Door to pump it back up, but they sold out all the copies, and it's printed in China, so there's some issues. Oh, okay, Glad a guy so, asked. Well, tell him to Kindle it or something. Oh,
1: he's Whatever. got the Kindle. He wants the hard copy, buddy. He wants the hard copy.
2: Yeah,
0: I we've been getting a lot of requests too, and that's that's what I'm telling everybody. So yeah, hopefully it's back in print soon, huh? But we don't know.
2: <sighs> also, um, what's my
0: at the I was already prepared for that. Hey,
2: thank you, baby. Thank you
0: at the Marty Gallagher. That's uh, Marty's Instagram.
2: Stacy's <sighs> Stacy's Which... lighting a firecracker in my butt to post more stuff. So I'm uh, throwing up different different things we're doing some cooking things and I forget. yeah like
0: when you do the food you had uh what was that what
2: kind of shrimp was that you put on there that was delicious shrimp yeah <laughs> what kind
0: <laughs>
2: i was uh oh well, i had I, I came across some some good sized shrimp so we did uh, some tagliatelle noodles mm. And with some heavy garlic and some onion and, and uh, you know, quality olive oil and, and it's diet food, man, I'm telling you.
0: Yeah, yeah I look good. But uh, yeah, I, I've noticed over the past, I don't know, maybe six
2: months or so that you're, you're really putting more up on well, your Instagram, it, it, your Facebook. People, well, people are telling me that this is, you know, I don't think twice when I roast a chicken and you think she's like oh you got to show people that you're using jock the pans uh technique for I said, all right all right all right so she beat me over the head so i'm posting i'm posting i know
0: well you're always telling me send uh pictures of barbecue and uh you know smoking yeah. meats when i do it out in the backyard you call it food porn yeah so i i need to send you some more of that because <laughs> it's been a little too cold lately but sure.
1: um to eat no to cook outside i guess well, he don't cook I'll, that anyway. He goes to cook
0: outside. Get, no, I got that he,
2: smoker. Oh, I, I thought. Well, you, but you've got the the world's greatest barbecue shacks within 20 miles of you, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. We've got some great barbecue around
0: here. Um,
2: you but you know, it, sometimes have you, have you made it to Cooper's yet? You really need I, to make it. Over no, I haven't
0: made it to Cooper's yet. But yeah, uh, well, you know, I, you got to give me some time. I've only been here since March. Well, that'll be a year and two months, dude. <laughs> I've probably eaten 95 pounds of barbecue since I've been here. So have you had have a single have you Have you had a
2: single beef rib? Uh, let me think. No, I mean, you know well, what? I well like, then, uh, then you then you haven't eaten barbecue. I, I,
0: beef ribs have never really been my thing. Maybe how, do you how do you, know? how do you how do
2: you know? How do How do you know? You've never I had like the pork ribs better. Well, you don't know that because you've never had a decent beef rib.
0: Yeah, they always seem too tough to me. But uh, well, because they're too
2: if they're, they're too tough, you haven't you you you're dealing with amateurs. You're in the world. You're you're, in, you're 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 in the MMA
1: man. You're in the greatest barbecue region in the world.
2: Wait, what's
0: Jim saying?
1: When you have us down for our seminar, me, Kirk, Brad, Marty. <laughs> Special soldier who just retired. Why,
2: why, why does he always laugh when we say Wouldn't that? Wouldn't that be great? Every though? time every time, yeah, I, every God, time we say that, he he breaks out laughing.
1: Let's make it happen. Seriously,
2: let's go. If I had you guys over for the
0: summer, all you dudes, and you can all stay here in the house, what do I? Well, you guys would all be sleeping outside. You'd all have <laughs> my wife would go, go crazy. She'd be like, "What when the we, hell is going they, on
1: here?" JP, we don't have to stay with you. <laughs> you could stay. Okay. All right. Well, I'm you guys asking. are
0: my brothers. You're gonna stay at my place. Okay. All right. Listen. Um. Anybody in need of of
2: uh, gym get, equipment get, or get or get equipment? what's Jimmy's article? What do you got, posted? Well, oh,
0: wait a minute. I haven't got
2: there yet. No, I'm just saying. You're, I'm curious. I'm dying to find out. What do you got? But you're out order? of order. I'm oh, sorry. Order in the court, please. Um. So yeah, gym
0: equipment, rubber flooring, IronCompany.com. Uh, product Spotlight. We just got a. T- more than a ton. We've got about uh, 40,000 pounds of kettlebells. So we've got our premium powder coated kettlebells in stock. Uh, what I like the- about these is they've got a-, a nice matte black finish. They've got a color band that uh, actually identify the size of the weight. And, you know, the biggest thing on kettlebells, when I designed these, I said, you know what? You can't ever see the numbers. So we got big giant numbers on there where you can see the poundage of the kettlebell and it's a pounds,
2: not kilos.
0: There's kilos underneath, but the pound okay. we put real nice and big, so you can see it. Oh, that's and cool. look, I've been in this business for a long time and I noticed that on a lot of these free weights, plates and stuff, dumbbells, they put the numbers so small. And as you get older, you can't see these damn numbers. And I'm like, OK, do these guys that are designing this stuff and, and, and making this stuff actually use this stuff? Maybe if, if they did, they'd understand the numbers are,
2: are too JP, small. Uh, can I ask you a question? What, what are the, um, the thing that I always uh, had a problem with, with the kettlebells is that they had these huge jumps right between the different sizes. Yeah, I mean, it's not like plates. You know. But but I mean, have, what, what are they... In other words, what are your graduations in your sizes? Well,
0: we start out with a nine pound. So it goes nine, 13, uh, 18,
2: 26, oh, that's, 35. But that, that's, 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 that's great. That's great. That's That makes sense. The the original kettlebells, they went like from 22 to 48 to, you, you know what I'm, 54. I mean, there was... I, I worked with some guys who were trying to get their kettlebell press up, and we were we were taping two and a half and five pound dumbbells to the kettlebells so we could get in between sizes, right? So you've yeah. conquered that by having these tight these tight graduations. That's great.
0: Well, I mean, you know, that's the way most everybody's doing it nowadays. They some manufacturers also make them in five pound increments, you know, which is Uh, an American thing, you know, and it kind of just parallels uh, free weights, you know, like, like dumbbells and, and things like that. So we also, I don't make those, but I do sell them through other uh, manufacturers. So uh, if
2: I just might say this real quick, I saw a guy uh, who is like the Eddie Van Halen of kettlebells. Uh, This is on Savage Protocols. His name is Chris Chamberlain. This guy does stuff with kettlebells that I have never seen in my life. I mean, it is like Cirque du Soleil stuff. It's, it's like, um, again, it's like Hendrix of, of kettlebells. I mean, you've seen everybody do their swings and their overhead presses. This guy's doing amazing, innovative stuff. So if you get a chance, check check them out on Savage Bird well, Are they actual lifts or is it, like you said, Cirque du Soleil? No, like I mean, you, you, on them no, no, it's not. I, I, it just it's it's innovative. It's dynamic. It's different. And it just, I don't even do kettlebells. It got me fired up. I was looking at this going like, man, this is really cool. This guy mm-hmm. has figured out a different way to, to use this tool. So it's indescribable. Pull it up and check it out for yourself. But I think you're going to be, it's, it's great just to watch it. It's, What's his name again? Chris Chamberlain. Chris. He's, a young, okay. he's, he's a young guy. But uh, again, I've never seen kettlebells slung and used in this this fashion. I think it's going to revolutionize the way that people use kettlebells. Okay, we'll check him out. I'll look him up on YouTube. Thank you. So
0: that's our product spotlight uh so yeah like i was saying we've got a whole bunch of kettlebells just came in nine pound to 106 pound so if you need any of those go to ironcompany.com um now marty your favorite part so we've got new jim steel articles coming up yeah. and uh jim has his own section his own article section at iron company under the articles uh section in there so go check that out the latest one and i'm i haven't edited edited the uh article yet i'm going to next week and we're going to post it but it's called uh what is it jim lighting a fire
1: there are no excuses no excuses yeah there are no excuses there are no excuses what's the
2: what's the premise
1: so, you, know, uh, have, you know in my career or in my life of lifting how many times people say oh man I want to get started or next week or or whatever and it's it's basically saying take care of your training first and all else will fall into place and be selfish with it hey I got to take care of myself now b- mm-hmm. because everybody will benefit when I'm going to the gym when I'm getting my exercise in love it that's when, J- when Jimmy's happy everybody's happy right, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> it's true though i mean a lot of times like you know for the past many years you guys are probably the same that's the only that's one of the only things that i get to do for myself that i have time you know, Don't, don't,
2: don't jp don't you find that it it centers you and and, and you know it makes you better at, at doing your entrepreneurial work
0: well absolutely in many different ways physically mentally and all that but you know, if you don't have that part of the day or certain times during the week to to embrace that and ground you and give yourself, you know, a little bit of time where you're just, you know, self-improving and doing what you want to do. And it's easy to get wrapped up and just, you know, working nonstop. You know, all my other time is spent with, uh, you know, I t- try to spend it with my girls and my wife and and, and do that, you know, balancing business and family life and all that, which isn't always easy, but you got to have something, you got to have something that grounds you like that, that you can depend on that makes you feel good and, you know, send you further down the field with, with progress for yourself, your occupation, whatever. So, um, so w- Jim will post that next week. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm probably going to edit that over the weekend. Uh, and finally, we talked about it a little bit before. If you're uh, in need of online training, whether you want to uh, lose some weight, muscle up, get, get a lot stronger, um, Jim and Marty can certainly help you guys out. If you want to contact Marty, his email is marty at ironcompany.com uh, or jim at ironcompany.com. And, uh, shoot them a line and, uh, an email and, and, uh, we'll get you guys connected. Yeah. Other than that, I think that's about it. We go. Right. Thank All you. Right. Appreciate it guys. Real good one today. Thank you. Thank you. See ya. Bye-bye.